So I think it's fitting. Uh, we've been trying to pair this together with a uh, chapter, a session in Galatians. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians 3. This is overview, big picture, going pretty fast. But Galatians is all about defending and promoting the gospel. And if you don't defend the gospel, you can't promote it. And so it's very much about protecting true gospel realities about Christ. And uh, in chapter 3, what we see that's fitting with what we're talking about, whether it's Mexico or Germany or Spain or Argentina or Russia or wherever, is the one thing that everyone needs is the same. Okay, So the one thing that everyone needs is the same, and God provides reconciliation with himself one way. So we're not arrogant and, and somehow outlandish in saying, we have the answer. And that's somehow out of step from God's many answers. Um, in Galatians 3, we're going to see God doesn't have two answers. He didn't have an old plan, and now he has a new plan. He has one answer, whether you speak English or Spanish or Russian or German or whatever it is you speak. The one answer uh, is reconciliation to him through Christ. If you want to boil it down to one word in Galatians 3, everyone needs, priority number one, not food, not clothing, not shelter, not equality, and the list goes on and on. Even those are, those are real needs. Humanity's greatest need is one need in one word, and that one word is righteousness. It's going to come up again and again in Galatians, and what it means is law-keeping. Everyone needs law-keeping. I know that might sound bizarre, but it really isn't in the bigger picture of Scripture and in Galatians. So there is a God. He has made us, and He expects us to treat Him like He's God. Well, that's righteousness. because And, and that's law-keeping. Okay? It's just acknowledging He's God and, and giving Him devotion, uh, loving Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's righteousness. Everyone needs righteousness. Everyone needs to treat God for who He really is. Oh, I guess there's one other thing we need that's related. We all need pardon from unrighteousness. Okay, so it all comes back to righteousness because we're all sinners. We're all lawbreakers. We haven't treated God like He's God. We need to be forgiven for, for that. And then we also need to be supplied with this treating God like He's God righteousness. Galatians 3 is awesome because it makes it clear that there's only one way to gain righteousness. Pardon from unrighteousness. And it's through Christ. So you might want to buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go fast, so buckle your, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to buckle your seatbelts because it's this scathing rebuke. Because the church had forgotten that there's only one way to gain righteousness. They were being persuaded into thinking God had two ways to gain righteousness. Not to mention our pluralistic mindset that might say there are, ma there, is many, there are as many ways as there are people. Well, here are the major issue. They're beginning to think in the church there's two ways. <laughs> and he comes unglued. There's only one way. And what's interesting is it's for Jew and Gentile. Therefore, that means all different kinds of people. Every kind of people there are, because there are only Jews and Gentiles. So once again, whether you're an American or Brazilian or whatever it is, 
It's the one and only Savior. Righteousness comes by His finished work. So there's my too long introduction. Um, but I hope it helps as we keep that in mind. So here we go. Chapter 3. It says, O foolish Galatians. Again, he's in blasting mode. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's like you've had a spell cast on your mind and, and you're, you're out of touch. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. If you lost your minds, you heard the gospel. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ was proclaimed to you, publicly portrayed to you as crucified. And he's using that as shorthand for the whole gospel. Well, what are you thinking? You've heard that. You know that. And now you're thinking there's another way? Let's keep going. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by, notice the contrast, works of the law, your obedience, devotion to the law, or by hearing with faith? And we all know what he assumes the answer is, because they're all going to know. They received the Spirit. They received all the blessings that come for, for forgiveness and being a Christian by hearing with faith, by believing. Hearing, notice in the context, what did they hear? They hear, they heard, they heard. Yeah, they heard all right. They, they heard about Christ crucified in verse 1. They heard that and then they believed that. Hearing with faith. That's how they received all these blessings. They know that's how you receive forgiveness. They know that's how you receive the Spirit. They know that's how you receive all the sealing of the Spirit. They know that. Christ was preached, they trusted in Him, they had faith, they heard, they trusted. And He says, is, 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 that how, is that how it was? Or was it, you know, refresh my memory, and this is a stinging expose, or, or was it because you did what's right, and you kept the law, and then you received all of this. And He knows that they know the answer. The church should know the answer, just like you and I should know the answer. But the most dangerous thing is when we forget what the gospel is and then we move into somehow it's a performance, it's what we do, and we accomplish it. And here, he's just really worked up about the whole thing. Someone asked me, they said, I want to know, you had ghost chilies and you like how they make you hot, but are you going to preach a fire and brimstone sermon? <laughs> so I'm trying. Maybe I need some more. Anyway. I need to have him like on the pulpit. Okay. Then he says, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Are you so dumb? Are you so stupid? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's that rhetorical question. They know the answer is no. Now, sometimes we, it could be two ways to interpret this. He's either talking about sanctification and, and you know that justification, entering into a right relationship with God, happens only by faith. And now are you thinking somehow spiritual growth happens apart from Christ? That's crazy. That may be the case. May be the case. Or it may be because of the greater context is, is all about justification. Okay? It definitely is. Context leans toward this view. Or is he saying, you know, you, you guys at first thought it was this. You began by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected? Now you're moving beyond that? And now somehow in your maturity you think it's actually by law-keeping? 
I kind of lean more toward that view. I know both justification and sanctification are both tied to Christ. You can't have either one apart from Christ. So, again, I wouldn't try to divide over the interpretation. But I think he's really driving home the point, you heard, you know better, what are you thinking? Then he says in verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Persecuted, family didn't like you, friends disowned you because you said, I'm trusting in, I'm resting in Jesus now, not in performance, not in law keeping. And there's a rub that comes with that. Well, you went through all that, and now you're going to go say, it's another way? You went through all that for nothing? Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing, again, hearing the gospel in the context, with faith? We know what the answer is. They know what the answer is. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed, same word for faith or trust, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I'll go faster here in just a moment, I promise. But that really is the answer. He keeps coming back to that. He keeps coming back to that in Romans. And that is the answer. It's from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. He trusted. He rested in God. And God credited that to him. He imputed that to him, to use the fancy word, as law-keeping, as righteousness. Abraham wasn't a law-keeper. Abraham was a sinner. Abraham was a pagan. So how did God accept him? Because Abraham did what was right? No. It's Mexico night. No way, Jose. (laughs) Not in a bazillion years. The, the, The touchstone text that proves that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're any different kind of person, the one way to be right with God is by trusting in God's promise. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous. He wasn't a law keeper, but God credits him with law keeping. That's grace. That's faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. And so he's just going to drive that home now. In so many ways, if you just get that, you get it. You totally get it. It can't be two ways of salvation. It can't be three ways. It can't be 300 ways. It has to only be one way because it always goes back to Genesis 15 and Abraham is the one. Now think of the Galatian context is that the Jewish people are, are, are giving um, arguments to the Christians, Christian Jews even, but any, any kind of Christians. You need to come with us first and you need to become Jewish and you need to become children of Abraham because we know that's not what the Old Testament wants to happen. You need to become children of Abraham and the way to do that is to keep the law. The way to become a child of Abraham, hello, is to believe God and it's credited to you as righteousness. There's only one way. So in that sense, this is so simple. This is so easy. Maybe they're saying it's too easy. But it's not too easy if it's for the work of Christ that was at great cost. So let's keep going, but just really, really, really keep that in mind. Verse verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. If you think you can get to heaven by your obedience, you're under a curse. Why? For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by, here's the important word to underline, all things written in the book of the law, and do them. 
See, we're, you're so smoked if you try to do it that way. Because God, if you're under the law system, okay, I'm going to do this and then God will accept me. Sure. In its entirety, holistically, if you do all of it, He will, hypothetically. But you're so, you're so cursed because you're not going to. And He doesn't grade on a curve. Um, and so, He makes it so clear. All things are written in the book of the law. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one, ah, this is so logical, that no one is justified or declared righteous, declared a law keeper, declared a lover of God, before God, by the law. For the righteous, here's why, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's why he's quoting from the Old Testament. And if you have a marginal note in your Bible, you can drop down and I can almost read mine. My eyes are almost good enough with glasses. But you can see there's another way to translate Habakkuk 2. And that is a very literal way. The one who by faith is righteous will live. That captures the idea. Same thing happens in Romans 1. I think it's verse 17. How do we gain life? By being righteous, not by law-keeping, but by being righteous by faith. The Abraham way. That's how you do it. On one level, this is complicated. But if you have your brain engaged, and you're just trying to think soberly, and you're following the words, you go, this isn't complicated. This makes tons of sense. Makes tons of sense. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. That's, that's a great statement right there. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, that would be the commands of the law, shall live by them. See, there's, there's a contrast. The law is not of faith. You can't have a faith in law system. It's rather, the one who does them will live by them. So if you want to go into that system, if you do all of the law's commands, then you'll have life. Same kind of marginal note. If you want to follow that system, yep, hypothetically, you'll have life if you do all the law. The problem is, we don't. Two systems. It's not a law faith. It's not gospel. Okay? It's not law and gospel. There's a law system and there's a gospel system, if you will. And you've got to keep them straight. And if you blur the two, you ruin both. The law isn't bad. To say love God, that's not bad. You should. That Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, that's, that's, that's good. You, sh- you should trust in Christ. But if you mix the two, you ruin the law and you ruin the gospel. And that's what this church is doing. That's what we don't want to do. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Oh, substitution. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And in the context, it's through faith in Christ, because He became the curse for us. It's awesome to see how it's all fitting together. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15. To give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, okay, that contract. So we, we took out a home equity loan and we had a covenant with the bank. Wells Fargo and the Abendroths have a covenant, 
okay? If you have Sprint phone carrier or Verizon or you have a covenant, there's a contractual relationship, right? We have all kinds of covenants that we have. You might have some for your neighborhood. Okay, let's use that as a human example. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls, annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham. Okay, here's a chronological argument, and it's important, and it's not complicated. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. That's a grace promise, faith promise, not a works one, okay? By the way, here's a really hard question. Who came first, Abraham or Moses? Yeah, it's not a hard question. But sometimes we're not so literate in our chronology, right? So thankfully, the guy who won the chili cook-off said Abraham. Now, maybe some of you other one, because we know he's a winner. <laughs> it's Abraham, and he's going to develop that here for us. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. He's going to tie all this to Christ as the one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. This is verse 17. The law which came 430 years afterwards, we have Abraham and then Moses way later, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Get the sense he's talking like that. I mean, don't you even know how to how, how to look at you know a timeline? Galatians Church, not us, but the. It's like, come on, you just have to think about Sunday school. Father Abraham came way before Moses, and the and it was established there by God, a gospel promise, if you will, faith promise. If you believe in God like Abraham, you'll be credited with law keeping. The law came later. So to say that to be children of Abraham, you have to be law keepers is totally mental bananas. It's just, it's just crazy. Have you lost your minds? Is what he's saying. And you, you'd be so passionate about it, not, not just because you're going to flunk a Sunday school test. You'd be so passionate about it because then this is what you start preaching to people and you call it the gospel. And it's not the gospel. Never was the gospel. Not even for Abraham. And I'm getting worked up about it. You say, what does this have to do with us? Because if we're not clear that it's only the work of Christ that is finished, complete, totally, and the only way to receive righteousness is by faith and only by faith, if we don't have that crystal clear in our heads, then we're going to tell people that if you're a good person, God will accept you. And let us tell you how to be a good person. And we might even use Bible verses. We're not protecting the gospel then, and we're not promoting the gospel. It's something else. See why I get fired up? It's like, come on. This is so easy, though. It's so easy to get messed up. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 19. Why then the law? He anticipates the objection like a good teacher does. Why then the law? It was added, added because of transgressions. Sin. Until the offspring, remember that's Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
So sin, the law came because of sin. And here he tells us even more. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. It's not the case, though, is what he's saying. Verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned. Just maybe keep your finger there for a second. It's interesting. He's using Scripture now as a synonym for law. Interestingly enough. But the Scripture imprisoned, the law imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So in a sense, that until Christ comes, until the promised one comes, the law is going to be used as, as an imprisoner, but it's all designed ultimately to have the work of Christ be clear for it, what it really is. They're not against each other. One shows us our sin, shows us our guilt. Verse 23, now before faith came, that is faith in Christ, before he actually showed up on the scene, is how he's using it there, we were held captive. That's the imprisoned idea. Under the law. Imprisoned. And, oh, just put your finger there for a second. If that's true, why would we now, as Christians in the church, be wanting to tell people to go to the law to get favor from God? It was an imprisoner. It's not a freer, it's an imprisoner. And it was designed to fit on the chronological scheme to be there until Christ comes because he's the one who's going to fulfill it. It doesn't make any sense to go back and pretend. It, here's what it is. It's like pretending Jesus didn't come when we preach gospel. It's like pretending Jesus didn't come. It doesn't even make any sense. End of verse... 23, until the coming faith would be revealed. Until Christ comes, object of our faith shows up, does his job. Verse 24, so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be, here it is, justified by faith. That's declared righteous, declared a law keeper, declared one who loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does that happen? By faith. By faith in what? No, it's by faith in who? <laughs> it's by faith in Christ. By faith in the gospel. Then it says in verse 25, But now that faith has come, it's faith in Christ, faith in the gospel, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are, here's another important word, all, whether you're Jew or Gentile, so that includes everybody, you are all sons of God through faith. I'm going to put my finger there again just to stop for a second. Making the point, you don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. Chapter 2, that was the issue. There's only one way. This makes sense because of Genesis 15. God would make Abraham the father of the Jews. Yes, but more, right? I'm, I'm giving you a trick, trick question. He would make Abraham the father of what? Many nations. Not just Jewish people. It's not plan B, the all nations thing. It started in Genesis. It's going to be the all nations thing. Huh. This is how it's always been, is what he's saying. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
So if you've been baptized into Christ, you could debate whether it's spiritual baptism into the body or actual baptism, which is linked to profession of faith. And so if you're baptized, you're a Christian person. He might be using it. He's using it one of those two ways. But he's saying if you're a Christian, either, either, either interpretation, if you're a Christian, when you're a Christian, you've put on Christ. You've been united to Christ. The law keeper, fulfiller, and the atoning one for your law-breaking. You're united to Christ. Either way. Twenty-seven. I already did twenty-seven. Twenty-eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, ha here's what we've been looking for, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's not a different plan for men, different plan for women, different plan for Jews, different plan for Gentiles, different plan for people who have good jobs, people who have bad jobs, people who have a lot of money, don't have a lot of money. You know what? If you're in Christ, you're in. <laughs> you're a child of Abraham. But it goes back again and again and again to the gospel. Christ was was publicly portrayed, he says to them, crucified, shorthand for the whole gospel. If that's the case, then you should know this. You should know all this. You shouldn't be misled. You shouldn't be uh, led down the wrong path. There's nothing left to be done. It's what he's done, and so we're resting in him. But think about how easy it is to be misled if you don't know that. Because you know there are a lot of commands in the Bible hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commands in the Bible. And it wouldn't take much for me to start telling you, you've got to do these things or God won't accept you. And it wouldn't take much at all. And then we get a publisher behind us and then we start promoting it. And before you know it, we're starting to think that you've got to have faith in Jesus and and then you'll have righteousness. And he is so worked up, it's not even funny Because if you go down that road, you don't really have the gospel and you don't really have Christ. That's why in chapter 1 he says, if anybody preaches to you a different gospel, they're damned. They're preaching a different gospel that's damning, so they're damned. It's terrible. So I get worked up about it, I get passionate about it, and I try to make it as simple as I possibly can and pray that you make it as simple as you possibly can because we're talking about eternal issues. This is a great thing in the context of the Great Commission. Since we're talking about different countries, we're trying to, to, to prayerfully get some greater interest in other places and have a, prayer, a growing prayerful burden for other places, as well as in our own place. For Jesus to say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded. We can do that because He's the one and only Savior. And there's only one gospel, and there's only one way to gain righteousness, and it's only by faith. I like what Martin Luther said when he said this. I'll end on this. This is one of the books that rocked his world so, so badly uh, to the core. He said, if people who hear you preach the gospel aren't responding 
by saying, does that mean we can live however we want to live? If people don't come to that question when they hear you preach the gospel, Martin Luther said, you're probably not preaching the gospel. Think about it for a second. Maybe a few seconds. He does it in Romans, in his Romans commentary, because you've got five chapters of gospel, clear as could be. And then the question, shall we sin so that grace may abound? And he says, may it never be. But in essence, Luther's saying, it's great that they ask the question. I want people to say to me, Pat, does that mean I can fill in the blank sin and it's okay? I want them to ask. And I'm going to say, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't because you want to show that you're a new creature in Christ and you've been forgiven and you belong to Him and you have a new master and you want to serve Him. And... But I'm so glad you asked the question because at least you get the fact that it's nothing you do. It's all that He does because justification, which is what we all need, we need righteousness, comes only by faith in the finished work of Jesus. So let's at least start with us in this room, that when we speak of Christ and what the gospel is, it would be, here's what Jesus did, and it's been done in full, completely. Lived, died, and raised from the dead. You must trust in Him, not in yourselves. Let's at least get that clear. And hopefully people will come to the conclusion. Does this mean I can do whatever I want? No, but I'm glad you asked. Because at least you're thinking the right way. Make sense? At least if we try to do that in our own little world, in our own little sphere, we might be able to impact other people. We pray for these other churches, other ministries, other places. Because then we're preaching the good news, not about ourselves, doing law-keeping, but the good news about the finished work of Christ.